Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Your Story Transmedia, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in Winnipeg. Those of you who follow my personal Twitter know that I am something of a geek and certainly love my fair share of comics, anime, and, and video games, especially when I was growing up. But over time, you get a little bit jaded. You might be looking for something that's a bit of a change of pace and something that has a little bit more of a local flavor. That's where your story comes in. And right now, they're launching a brand new lineup of comic books, including their flagship comic, The River Knows, which is set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. The best way I can describe it is that it's a supernatural murder mystery with noirish elements that marries X-Files and Mad Men. It has has that feeling of cosmic dread and supernatural horror until you catch that familiar sight of Portage in Maine. If you'd like to check out the first issue, you can find the ebook version at yourstory.ca for just $1.99. You can also purchase a high quality 8.5 by 11 magazine style first print edition for just $11.99. If you're into video games, be sure to keep an eye out for their upcoming first published game, Alien Machine Glow, which focuses on the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who gains the ability to see aliens. You can learn more about Alien Machine Glow as well as Your Story's other comic books and media properties at yourstory.ca. And when you place an order, be sure to use one time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. On tonight's episode, we're going to be recapping some of the NHL action that occurred over the weekend, whether that includes hockey games themselves or some NHL trade action. And we'll start off with the more business aspect, which is the trades. We've got a couple of them that actually occurred, and both of them, I think, have mixed reactions from the crowd for different reasons. The first one that occurred was Nick Bukestad for a conditional 2021 pick, and from my understanding, I think that pick is going to be something like a seventh rounder if he plays like, I don't know, 40 games or something next season, or hits something like 30 to 35 points. I forget what the exact conditions are, but basically, the Penguins gave away Bukestad, and even more interestingly, they're retaining about rumored to be half of his salary. Bukestad is a 28-year-old center who hails from uh, really the Florida Panthers, and was actually known for being a pretty decent top six forward for most of his time in Florida. I wouldn't say that he's a particularly prolific scorer. He somewhere sits between like a second and third liner, but with the Panthers not exactly having tons of forward depth, I think he tended to get quite a few minutes there. When he moved to Pittsburgh, I think the expectation was that he was going to be a more integral part of that team's middle six unit. And as far as his actual production is concerned, he's just not that amazing. Now, I say all of this to point out the fact that last season for Pittsburgh, he had something like 14 points in 32 games. And this year, he had two points in 13 games because he was injured for most of the season. With his $5.5 million contract hit, it's obvious that the Pens were looking to shed some salary, especially with their upcoming negotiations and the general COVID cap implications that are going to be putting a lot of teams in a pinch. And so the Pens needed to figure out something to just dump this contract, and they basically took essentially nothing in return for sending Bukestad onwards. This is an interesting gamble from Minnesota because I think the Wild are looking for a rosterable forward who can be someone that they can rely on for their middle six unit, and maybe they want to flip him at the deadline considering he's got salary retained, and he's only got one year left on his deal. He's not like a a kind of player that you're looking to rebuild around, especially in terms of contract negotiations. Bugstad looks like he's going to be in and out of the door, basically, especially if we have a regular season that, for the most part, follows the normal schedule next year. 
I think it's a curious gamble because if he is actually a serviceable forward, I could think of a few teams, especially at the trade deadline, that might be interested in maybe sending like a fourth or a fifth round pick on to the wild for him. And if all you give up is a conditional seventh rounder, especially one from next season, I think that upgrading your current pick to one, you know, maybe earlier in the draft would be a fantastic value. And maybe Bugstad contributes something and is able to recover a little bit from his injury so that he's more of a serviceable NHLer. As he is right now, he's basically an average player, and I think that that's actually not too bad. Again, for a pick that's probably never going to ice NHL games or even professional games. But on the business side of things, I could see this being a bit of a loss just because the the odds that Bugstad actually becomes a a serviceable NHLer at this point are not great. And you're going to be paying him a decent amount of money to either sit in your press box, sit on injured reserve, or not bring much NHL value. But either way, it's like a low-risk gamble in terms of assets that, that they gave up. But as far as the cap hit that they brought on... Not 100% sure, but if he does end up being an NHLer and maybe even a decent one at that, you can flip him at the deadline or hope he's decent enough for you to make some kind of a playoff run, although I think the Wild at this point are definitely in rebuild mode. The other trade that occurred was Joel Edmondson for a fifth-round pick, and these are just the rights to re-sign Joel Edmondson, so Carolina didn't intend to extend him, which I think is a wise decision, and Montreal is bringing him in with the, I, I guess the idea to sign him to a multi-year contract. If you're the Habs, this is a mistake. And I, I think that for some folks, Edmondson was thought to be a much better player than he actually is. Unfortunately, Joel is just not a particularly good player. I think that he is basically on the level of somebody like Lucas Abisa or Anthony Potato at this stage of his career. And you can get those guys pretty regularly for like a league minimum deal. The fact that Montreal actually paid a fifth round pick to then sign this guy to a potentially multi-year contract I'm not feeling it, and he wasn't even good for the Carolina Hurricanes, right? So, as far as what Montreal is thinking that they're getting with this guy, I'm not 100% sure. I know that they turned around Ben Sherratt, but Sherratt at least had some sort of offensive value that was evident from when he was with the Jets. I really don't see anything in Joel Edmondson's repertoire that suggests he's going to be the same kind of reclamation project. I think Edmondson is basically a seventh defenseman at this point. I don't know that he's going to provide much NHL value, especially to a Montreal team that really doesn't need any defenseman of his particular type. If you just wait till free agency, there's going to be tons of cheap defensemen that probably hit the market, especially with teams not really able to keep a lot of contracts on the books. There's going to be guys like Joel freely available for almost nothing, and yet they actually gave up assets to sign him to a deal. And whatever the cap hit is, it's probably going to be way too much money. I think if you're paying more than a million for Edmondson, you're probably making something of a mistake. Maybe Bear Gavin surprises us all and it's only for like one or two years and it's not that big of a deal, but I just don't know why you would trade a, a pick from this year's draft for that sort of right. He doesn't really make sense as a fit for this team, and I, I don't know. It's just one of those things that I don't really get. What's kind of funny is Carolina gets its fifth round pick back that it ended up traded along with Justin Folk, so, uh, you know... Maybe there's an oddly full circle trade coming around here, but as far as the context of the, the deal is concerned, I don't really care for it for the Hab side, and I think Carolina did a good thing to get an actual asset that they once owned for a guy that they brought in for cheap. Generally speaking, their Carolina Hurricanes are a pretty smart team. Lord knows I probably don't want to have the Jets trading with them anytime soon because I feel like Winnipeg probably won't be winning those trades. Up next, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the actual NHL action that occurred, including Dallas versus Vegas and the New York Islanders versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. But before then, I thought I'd cover some more serious territory. For a lot of men, talking about erectile dysfunction is something of a social taboo, and we brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I've lost my mojo, or we avoid the problem altogether by telling our significant others, 
I've had a long day at work or I'm just not feeling it. At long last, however, there's a safe and discreet way to talk about erectile dysfunction with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication with Roman. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you step-by-step to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet, and using Roman has never been easier. To get started, just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL, GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL. ED used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and get the treatment you need. During quarantine, it can be hard to figure out the best thing to have for dinner. You can only bake so many frozen chimichangas and pizzas before you start to lose your mind. What do you choose when your family is looking for Chinese, pizza, frozen yogurt, or even Mexican food? That's where DoorDash comes in. DoorDash is the app that brings you the exact food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is super easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-to spots or choose from your favorite national restaurant chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and get the same treats you know and love delivered right to your door. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDONNHL. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDONNHL. Now more than ever, it's important to support all the local eateries in our area, and doing so has never been easier than now with the DoorDash app. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNHL for $5 off your first order with DoorDash so you can keep supporting your local restaurants and save money. Welcome back to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets show. We are going to be picking up our NHL playoff coverage from this past weekend, starting with the Dallas Stars versus the Vegas Golden Knights. In general, I've had a hard time figuring out if the Dallas Stars are good, lucky, or a little bit of both. I tend to lean more towards a little bit of both because I think that what Dallas does is that they do like to create a lot of high-danger opportunities by getting real up close in front of the net, attacking Lerner right where he sits in his crease, and not really doing a whole lot else. When it comes to defending in front of their own net, I think they like to collapse a lot and hope for the best because Anton Hudobin just seems to be really on point. He's made a ton of wonderful saves. He's kept them in a lot of these games where Vegas had tons of crossy movement, lots of power play opportunities, and long stretches of sustained 5v5 offensive zone pressure. So this has been a tough series for, for the Stars in a lot of ways, but they've weathered it pretty well, and Anton Hudobin has kept them in the lead even when they're maybe getting a little bit pantsed by this Knights team. And that's not super surprising. We've, we've seen Vegas kind of dominate 5v5 possession and the scoring chance battle throughout a lot of these series. But somehow, man, Dallas has now found itself in the series lead 3-1 with a 2-1 victory over Vegas. And it's really put a lot of pressure on this night squad. Vegas is a team that has handled adversity decently well, but I think that this is a different position. I don't think that a series deficit like this really bothers them in the usual way that you'd expect. Like, I'm sure that they're obviously worried for a variety of reasons, right? But they're not going to panic. This is a team that keeps playing the same way that it's always played because they understand their process. They know that more often than not, it's going to get results, whether it does or not in the series. And they also know that trying to change this, this script in the playbook is really not going to have a significant change on this series. 
Their style has worked for most of the year, and they just have to hope they can find a way to get past Anton Hudobin and get the series back towards something a little bit more manageable. As we speak, they're up over the Stars 1-0 in Game 5, which is definitely a big push for the Knights. I think that they desperately needed to find a way back in this series because, you know, for all of the chances that they've created, finishing those opportunities has been a little bit challenging, and Dallas somehow just seems to have found the way to get those extra goals and those last few saves. I really feel like the difference in this series has been Anton Hudobin kind of playing out of his mind. That's not to say that Dallas hasn't been good at creating offense on their own, but I feel like a lot of their success is being driven by the fact that their goaltending has been darn near flawless. And I don't mean that he hasn't conceded goals, because Hudobin definitely has. I think the difference is he's made a, a higher volume of saves, especially on some insanely dangerous opportunities that I think, you know, if you're the Knights, you really need to capitalize on those chances because Dallas is just going to keep giving you them, and the only one really standing in their way is Hudobin. And, you know, if you're if you're Dallas, I don't really know what else you change because I think that for the most part their approach doesn't really have much flexibility to improvise. They're not really like the Stars where they do a lot of trapping and countering. They just seem to be a squad that is more interested in creating chaos off a rush and, and hoping that something goes through, especially with second chance opportunities in front of the net. Other than that, they're not really a big point shooting team and I don't see them taking too many sharp angle shots looking for rebounds. They have definitely tried to push towards the net and creating a lot of physicality and strength right in the central slot area in order to muscle that puck through. I don't know if that approach is going to work against a team like Tampa Bay if the Dallas Stars do advance, but, you know, all that said, their style seems to be working against Vegas. I, th I think where Vegas is a little bit different than, than Tampa Bay is that Vegas doesn't quite have the same level of finishing talent all throughout their lineup. When you look at Tampa Bay's roster, there's just not that many weak links. I mean, it's really hard for me to say that any of their players, barring a few notable exceptions, really causes them issue. Even the guys that aren't that great in terms of NHL value have some kind of a role with the Lightning and are able to be masked by a lot of the other skaters on that team because their weakest points are hidden by the fact that everyone else around them is so insanely good. These chances that Vegas has kind of passed up, not because they haven't tried to score, but because they're just getting those, those stops against that have really hurt them, I don't think Tampa Bay is missing on those same chances. I think the Lightning are more than capable of scoring on those opportunities and punishing Dallas for the multitude of mistakes that they have made throughout the series. If Dallas finds a way to claw back in this game and close out the series tonight, it'll be interesting going forward because, I don't know, the Stars as like a Stanley Cup contender are just not there for me yet, but they've also seemed to defy a lot of the odds, especially from what we thought they might do against a team like Vegas and some of the other squads that they've faced like Colorado. Dallas has definitely ousted some of the top teams in the playoff picture, but they've yet to face somebody like Tampa Bay. Even Vegas, I don't think, is quite on that level, despite the fact that, yeah, the Knights are like the second best team in the league. Pending the results of this Game 5, we might be finding out what Dallas has made of a lot sooner than expected. Closing us out tonight, I thought I would bring us back to the New York Islanders versus Tampa Bay Lightning series, because we were just talking a little bit about how good the Lightning are, and again, they've shown their quality against the Isles in a Game 4 in which New York just really struggled. I mean, the Isles have had this series where they've played pretty decent hockey, especially for the kind of style that Trotz is asking them to play, but I think the problem with them is that they don't really have the kind of elite finishers for when they get those few opportunities that they do make. 
they haven't played bad hockey, generally speaking. There's only been a couple of instances where I felt like the Tampa Bay Lightning kind of spanked them a bit, but the rest of their outings have been pretty solid, and yet they now find themselves in a 3-1 series hole because, to be honest, Tampa Bay is just capable of scoring more goals than they are. Funny enough, it ended up being the Isles who scored first. Brock Nelson, who's had a bit of an up-and-down series, opened the scoring for New York first, and then you thought, oh, you know, this is the second period. Maybe, maybe the Isles have this game in hand. Maybe they're going to get enough saves from Varlamov to keep them in it and at least get a second game in the series to try and make it a little bit more competitive. Unfortunately for New York, they then found themselves in a very serious hole because just a few seconds later, they conceded two very quick goals to the Lightning. It just seemed like Tampa Bay all of a sudden decided, yep, this is the time that we're going to start finishing our opportunities. Varlamov lost track of the puck on one of the goals, and the other one was a really quick counter that I think caught New York by surprise. And then they ended up conceding a couple more goals in the third period at the point at which there was really no return. And I feel like in this series... The New York Islanders have just kind of lost it. I don't think that they have much of a shot anymore because they don't have enough goal-scoring talent to overcome the fact that they don't really have a bona fide way to counter Tampa Bay's true depth. I mean, you look at that Lightning roster, and as I said earlier, they don't have many weak links. Well, you also look at their third and fourth lines, and those lines are tailor-made for playoff hockey. They've got enough skill and grit to both grind along those four checks and then create goal-scoring opportunities that they then finish just a few seconds later. And that is something that not many teams in this league really have. Coleman, I think, has made a huge difference for this Lightning squad because he brings an elite presence on that third line. And New York just doesn't really have anyone to compensate. They're now down Casey Sezikis yet again, and they've lost a couple of players throughout the series at various points. But I think a guy like Sezikis being out means you get more minutes of Clutterbuck and Komarov, which neither of those guys are really capable of keeping up too much. We've even seen guys like Andrew Ladd and Matt Martin suit up, and I think that at some point you just have too much physicality over skill, and that's kind of what we're seeing with the, with the Isles. I think Trotz has done an admirable job of taking this team of misfits and, and really limited skill for the most part to heights that no one expected. You know, New York has had a bit of a tumultuous past couple of seasons, especially with the departure of John Tavares, but they now have at least a roster that's been very fun and a lot better than anyone expected. But I think that this is kind of where they're starting to hit their ceiling. Their approach works against NHL teams that are at least decently comparable or not too, too much better than what New York has. But against a team like Tampa Bay, where there's just four lines that you can roll and a pretty strong defensive back end with at least a league average goalie, I think you're asking way too much of this New York team. For as close as they've gotten to winning some of these games, they just don't have enough finishing talent to put them away. And that's maybe Uncle Lou's only real sin. I just don't really know what else they were supposed to do because there's not really many finishers that they're going to be able to acquire off of the market, and it's not like they have all that many futures to pay with at this point. Pajot has definitely been quality, but he's also being paired on, on some lines that aren't really suited to his skill sets. And as, as effective as he can be, when he's struggling, he's not really the kind of finisher that I'm looking for, especially for a team that just doesn't have that much elite goal-scoring talent. They've gotten away with a lot of stuff, they've done a really admirable job, but this is, in all likelihood, about as far as they can go with the roster that they have. If they can find some elite goal-scoring talent from somewhere from a team that maybe needs to jettison some cap space and, and is looking for futures in exchange, there might be something to consider there. You know, if I'm if I'm the Jets, I'm thinking a couple of guys like Ryan Pulak, Adam Pellick, 
Devin Taves and maybe some forward prospects and whatnot might be uh, part of a deal to include for a guy like Kyle Connor. You look for a good combination of those assets in return for Kyle, who would be an easy fit on that top six, especially with a guy like Matt Barzal. While Connor's talents maybe have some issues in a team like Winnipeg, especially with how the Jets have deployed him, I think that he could be a much better fit along somebody's flank like Barzal, just because he's going to bring that extra goal-scoring element that the Isles currently lack. That deal is never happening for a variety of reasons, but, you know, it would be an interesting fit for both parties, especially if, at some point, the Jets and Isles ended up coming to some kind of an agreement. That said, that will do it for tonight's episode. I thank you folks so much for listening, and before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National Podcasts hosted by Sarah Avampato. I'll probably have some more player grades this week because the game schedule should definitely start to thin out over the next couple of days. But until then, thanks so much. Love y'all. Have a great night, and go Jets go.